Well, today is a day for love. Ever since about, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning on December the 26th, it seems like stores have been filled with all kinds of red stuff and white stuff and pink stuff. Hello. Um, fonts have gotten a whole lot more cursive uh, the last couple of weeks. And for sure, you never see as many doilies as you do this time of year. It is remarkable how uh, commercialized Valentine's Day has become. It is a day for, for love and thinking about that particular concept. And as I was looking uh, the last day or so on Facebook and things and my friends and what they're preaching, it seems like everybody's talking about love. First Corinthians 13. See, everybody's going to preach about First Corinthians 13 today. And, and First John chapter 8, God is love and all, all those other things. And we could certainly do that. We can think about love and we, we can think about what the Bible says about, about what it means to, to really love and what the biblical term for love is. Of course, there's more than one word translated as love in the New Testament, but that most famous term, agape, uh, is the kind of love we don't really see in our world when we think about it. Last night, my kids and I were talking about this, and I said, Daddy sometimes uses a really fancy phrase in his sermons, and it's self-sacrificial, others-centered love. And I said, you know what that means? They said, not a clue. I said, okay, well, it's, it's all right. That's what biblical love looks like, though. It is self-sacrificial. It is others-centered. And we can look at all sorts of places in the New Testament where that word is found and think about that. But I wanted to look at a little bit different direction this, this morning because our theme for 2016 is strengthening our roots. And you remember that subtitle for the year is Knowing God Through His Word. And I wanted to tie this morning's lesson into especially that second part of the theme, knowing God through his word. How can we show a love for God and tie that to his word? Well, it's found in one of the verses we read together a few minutes ago. I hope you'll open your Bible to that longest chapter, that longest poem in the Bible, Psalm 119. For some people, if you let your Bible fall open, it literally will fall open to it because it is basically the middle of the Bible. The 117th Psalm is actually the very middle chapter of the Bible. 119 is right beside it and takes up several pages. 176 verses are found in this particular poem. The second longest chapter found anywhere in the Bible is less than 90. So basically, this chapter or this poem is twice as long as the next longest chapter of Scripture. And it is a poem that praises the Bible, that contemplates Scripture from beginning to end. 172 times, excuse me, 169 times in 176 verses, you come across phrases such as your word, your testimonies, your statutes, your ordinances, your commands, your law. 169 times in 176 verses. But as David comes to basically the middle of this particular poem, he writes one of the more famous verses in it, in verse 97, that provides for us the title for our lesson this morning. As he writes, Oh, how I love your law. And then he writes, For it is my meditation all the day. What does it mean to love the law or the word of God? Now, we could, if we so chose, go all over Scripture this morning and think about concepts found basically from beginning to end that talk about that subject. But what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to make three observations from that one verse, verse 97. 
And in following that, I want to make a point of application found in the following verses, how David followed that up. And by the way, I've said David several times. You may notice above Psalm 119, there's no author given. Some of the Psalms will say of David or a poem of David when or whatever. Psalm 119, there are two major ideas as to who the author is. David is the leading candidate, and that's who I believe it is. Some suggest, though, it is Ezra. But we're going to take the view that it is David who wrote this particular poem. And we're going to use his name throughout this lesson this morning. And so from verse 97, I want to make three observations about what it means to love the Word of God. And then in what David wrote in the following verses, we'll make our point of application. What does it mean to show a real love for the Word of God? Well, first of all, we need to think about the fact that there is an object of our love, and that is the Word of God. But notice that David does not write, oh, how I love your word. Remember, I told you, there's all different descriptions for the word of God found throughout this poem. But in this verse, he says, oh, how I love your law. Some of you will recognize the Hebrew word here. It's the word Torah. It's the word that the Hebrews often use for the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The books of Moses or the books of the law, as our pew packers can tell you on Sunday evenings. You remember that Moses wrote those books and beginning in Exodus chapter 20 where the Ten Commandments are given. Basically, for from that point through the end of Deuteronomy, most of that material is laws. There are 613 laws given in the Old Testament. They find their foundation, of course, in the Ten Commandments given in Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me and so forth throughout those particular laws. But do you not find it interesting that David says, I love your law. We might change it for the word commandment or, or, or truth. How can we love a law? That word translated law can also be translated as instruction. Or this, you'll find this interesting. It can also be translated as direction. Keep that in mind for something we'll say in a little while near our conclusion. Oh, how I love your direction. But both of those, instruction, direction, both of those find their foundation in a law. We might say in a standard. We need to be people who love the fact that there is a standard, that God has given us something to follow. Now, of course, we are no longer under the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. We don't have to follow all those commandments in in, in the same way or the same ceremonial way that they follow them. You can read several places in the New Testament that teach us that. The book of Colossians tells us, Excuse me, that Jesus nailed it to the cross. Maybe the clearest place you see it found is in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13, where we're told that Jesus made the first law obsolete. He took it out of the way. And you remember that Jesus himself had said that he did not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. And when he became the first person to completely fulfill the Old Testament law, proving it could be done and was done, He took it out of the way. He set it aside and put in place something else. And so some people then suggest, well, then we're not under a law. If if Jesus took away the law, as we often call it, then we're not under one. It's interesting, though, that we're told in John chapter 1 and verse 17, John begins his account of the gospel by telling us, For the law, and notice the phrase there, the law, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It is easy to say that the Old Testament is law 
And the New Testament is grace. The problem is both are found in both Testaments. There is grace in the Old Testament. Clearly stated in uh, Genesis chapter 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. But you see it exemplified over and over and over and over and over again. Whether or not the term is used in the Old Testament, you see the grace of God countless times in the Old Testament. But even in that verse, John 1.17, John said, The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What's implied in that? There is still a truth to be followed. There is still something or some things we might do. We might not refer to it very often as the law of Christ or the law of the New Testament. But the same principles apply. There are still some, to use an old phrase, thou shalt and thou shalt not in the New Testament. There are still certain things we must do in order to be pleasing to God. And there are still certain things we must avoid in order, order to be pleasing to God, just as there were under the old law. Thankfully, we live in a time where we see exemplified the grace of God far more clearly. But there is still law to be followed. The question becomes, do I love that? You see, when we think of law, the concept of law, we very often think of things that restrain. We think of boundaries that are put around us. And most of us, if we're honest, don't like that concept, or at least we don't like it all the time. We don't like that there really are some things that we cannot do, or, or at least we should not do, in order to be pleasing to God. When someone tells us no, it kind of raises our blood pressure a little bit. Right? We, we don't like that very much. But here's why we can love the law of God. It's very simply this. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Now, that does not mean that following the law of God makes everything always easy in this life. The New Testament tells us we're going to go through some difficult times. Paul told Timothy that all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There are going to be difficulties that come. And the New Testament never promises us that if we follow God's law, it's just going to be an easy walk every day of our lives. But throughout the course of our life, if we will follow the laws of God, we will see our lives being transformed into something better than we ever could have made them for ourselves. Because God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what is truly wise. He knows what is to our ultimate good. And He knows what is also for our daily good. He knows what will help us in being pure. He knows what will help us achieve true joy. Not just happiness in the moment, but true joy. Just consider for a moment, if you can even possibly fathom it. What would this world be like if every person followed the law of God? Folks, we couldn't imagine the peace. We could not imagine not just the happiness, we can't imagine the joy. Because God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what brings the ultimate in those things. Do I love that? What is the object of my love? It should be the word, the law of God. But how strong should it be? That's our next point. As David continues by telling us about the degree of our love. The words that open Psalm 119 verse 97 may seem very simple, and they are. But they are the expression of a heart that is overflowing with emotion. Oh, how I love your law. Those little words, oh and how, may be very simple. But they express so much. 
the scholars that bring the Bible to us in English use those very, very short words to express the depth, or to use our word, the degree that our love should reach for the love of God. I need to ask myself at times, how much do I really love the Word of God? Now, what I'm getting ready to say is not meant to cast stones at all. But I want us to really think through this in a very deep and strong way for a few moments. And I need to make an honest evaluation in my own life for how much I love the Word of God. When I love someone, when you love a wife, when you love a husband, when you love your children, when you love your parents, when you love a a good friend, it's easy for us to say that, but we all know that it takes some demonstration of that. And there are a lot of ways that that can be demonstrated. But one of the clearest ways it can be demonstrated, especially over the course of time, is through communication. Do I spend time... Well, I love my children. Do I ever talk to them? Do I ever listen to them? Really listen to them? I have a great friend. I love that friend. Of course, the only time I've ever seen him is on Facebook. But I love that friend that I'm going to communicate with. And I'm going to listen When they have something to say, whether I like it or not, I'm going to listen. If we know that is a clear indication of our love, then does it not stand to reason that if we love the Word of God, if we love God, we will listen to Him speak through His Word on a regular, constant, and deep basis. Peter reminds us, That God has given us all things that pertain both to life and to godliness. If that is true, should I not want to drink deeply from what God has given me in the pages of Scripture? And to do so as regularly as I possibly can. I hope you have your Bible open to Psalm 119 verse 97. Because I want to do for a moment, and I'm not going to go through the whole psalm because I'd like to eat lunch at some point today. It's 176 verses long. But I want to show you just a handful of verses that show the totality of this degree or depth of love. Turn back to the very beginning of the psalm. We're going to walk through just five or six examples that show this depth or this degree of love for the Word of God. Notice Psalm 119 verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. How can I say, how can I, excuse me, stay true to what God has to say? I can seek Him wholly, that verse says. Verse 11, one of the more famous verses in this psalm. Your word have I stored up, literally treasured up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Folks, you don't keep something in your heart that you're not constantly taking in and constantly considering. Verse 16. I will delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. Notice verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Just a couple of phrases. Verse 31. A phrase is included. I cling to your testimonies. Verse 40 contains the phrase, I long for your precepts. Verse 54 contains the phrase, your statutes have been my very songs. And folks, on and on and on we could go. And we skipped some going through those 54 verses. It is constant as this psalm is filled with phrases and verses that show not just, not just kind of an appreciation for the Word of God, but a degree of longing, a depth of love then I need to ask myself, do I really have that? 
Do I really have that? Or I long for it. I store it up. Ask myself, I need to ask myself, how much time do I spend in the Word seeking after the heart of God on a daily, on a weekly basis? Is it more time or is it less time that I spend trying to figure out the plot of my favorite TV show? Is it more time, is it less time than I spend trying to figure out who can't dance? Or who's going to get thrown off the idol uh, island? Or who's going to be the next idol? And we could go on and on. But my goal should be to have a degree of love for the will and the word of God. That my heart will be like Job when he said, I have not departed from the commandments of God's lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth even more than my portion of food. Job chapter 23 and verse 12. When it comes to reading and studying the Bible, do you see it as just a chore? Do you see it as just something else to check off the to-do list? Or is it something you long for? Something where your heart is figuratively pulsating within you because it's as if you couldn't live if you can't get God's Word. That's the depth or the degree. Oh, how I love your law. And then number three from this verse, we see the evidence of our love. We have touched on this a little, but I want to dig in more to how David himself completes this thought. In verse 97, he shares that the evidence for this love, for the law of God, is seen that in that it is my meditation all the day. Now that word meditation, I know... It carries a lot of a lot of baggage within our modern religious world. It carries oftentimes the idea of Eastern or what's sometimes called New Age religion where we kind of are supposed to, to just empty our mind of everything and whatever kind of floats in our mind, it must mean something. Or we're supposed to just kind of continually chant some meaningless phrase over and over and over again, some mantra, and, and that's supposed to take us to some kind of higher plane of consciousness. That's not at all what David has in mind. The word meditation, as found in Psalm 119, verse 97, can also be translated as prayer, can also be translated as devotion, but the one I like the most, it can also be translated as reflection. Reflection. In my opinion, that's the word when I read that verse, I put in there. Because that's the more modern word that we would use. It is my reflection all the day. It's as if David is saying, whatever else... I have to think about, I can't help my mind going back to the Word of God. Or maybe maybe it's this thought, that whatever else may come to my mind, I can't help but filter it through the Word of God. It becomes my worldview to see everything through the filter of the Word of God. If David wrote this poem, we don't know when in his life he wrote it. But we have a lot of things that happen... Every day in our lives, some exciting, some pretty mundane, some important, some unimportant. And David had the same thing. For example, if if David was a shepherd when he wrote this song, well, he would have had to been considering things like the travel pattern of his sheep and where to take them next. And are, are there enemy animals? Are there predators nearby? I've got to worry about that. And how long have we been out here? This this animal's sick. I need to make sure I'm taking care of that. He wouldn't been thinking about just those constant things of his his work, his business. Or maybe it was a time when David was a warrior. He was running for his life from King Saul. He would have had to been considering the safety of his men. Where are we going to get food, water, 
Have we been to this place too many times? Do we need to begin traveling again? Are we safe here? If we're attacked, who's going to be in charge of this and that? Or what if David were king? What if it was that part of his life? We were talking about this in our Bible class this morning for a few moments. I can't even imagine the amount of information that comes to a king. Can you? I mean, I can't imagine the amount of of, uh, information that comes to, to a president or a prime minister, but a king who's literally in charge of everything. Can you imagine how much stuff they just see every single day? I don't know when David wrote this poem, if he wrote it. But whether it was a shepherd, a warrior, a king, whenever it was. It is as if David is saying, everything else that's going on, I am filtering through the lens of the Word of God. Whatever other information I have to sift through today, my mind is going to continually go back to God's Word. We live in times where it's sometimes very difficult to find quiet. And you know the verse as well as I do that tells us to be still and know that I am God. Sometimes being still is very difficult. We live in just constant noise. It's just everywhere. Constant motion. But with knowing that, I still want to make this or ask this question. When there is a moment of quiet, when there is a time when life slows down, even for a moment, may I just gently ask, where does your mind go? I think the answer to that one question in many ways tells us, is my heart the same as was David's or is it not? When I finally have a few moments, does my heart go to fun and sports or shopping? It will be shopping for me, but does it go, does it go to that kind of stuff? Does it go to the worries of the world because now I've finally got time to figure out who's going to win the election? Who's going to be here? I'm so scared. Or does it go back to I finally have a moment. God, I can't wait to spend that moment with you. I want to think about your words in those moments of quiet. The evidence of our love may be seen in those quiet moments of life, but they're also seen when life is just going on And there's constant noise. But do I filter that noise through the Word of God? That's the verse. But in the last few minutes we have, I want to ask this question. What difference does all this make? As we try to make this practical in our lives, and as my, there it goes, I was going to say, and as my remote stops working, but as we try to make this practical for our lives, let's ask ourselves, what, what, what difference this would make? It's easy to stand up here and say, we should love the Word of God. I mean, that's about the most preachery thing anybody could ever say, right? I mean, that's about the most, that's every sermon outline, right? What's the application of sermon? Pray and study. I mean, that's what it boils down to, right? But what difference does it make? And again, we could go hither and yon in Scripture and find all kinds of verses from Genesis to Revelation that tell us, here's the difference of loving God's Word. But it's interesting to me that in this poem, David follows up that verse with the difference it should make in our lives. And he shares three. He says, first of all, it's going to make a difference in my perspective. In my perspective. And Eric, you're going to have to hit these. I'm sorry, my battery's dead. Verses 98 through 100, as well as verse 4, talk about a couple of concepts. Wisdom and understanding. And both have to do with proper perspective. Notice the verses, beginning in verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. 
for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Verse 104, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. You want to have proper perspective in your life? Spend time in the Word of God. That doesn't mean we're going to get everything right all the time. It doesn't mean we're, it doesn't mean we're not going to be confused at times because there are, are certain things that are better and best or good and better. But the ultimate perspective, the ultimate perspective of godly wisdom can only be found if I'm spending time hearing from God through His Word. It makes a difference in my perspective. It also makes a difference in purity. Obviously, one reason we want to follow the Word of God, the will of God, is to be pure and prepared for eternity. We don't always know what's right and wrong until we come to the ultimate standard. Folks, even the Apostle Paul had to say, I would have known what it meant to covet if the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. That's Paul. If Paul had to say, I wouldn't have known what this meant without, if you let me paraphrase here, spending time in God's Word, then that's the attitude I need to have. And so, in verses 101 through 103, David writes much the same thing. He says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How do I stay pure? Do I just trust my conscience? Well, hopefully I can, but a conscience must be trained, and sometimes it's not trained properly, at least not fully properly. I had someone tell me, I guess two or three weeks ago, that they no longer trusted the Bible. They said, I now trust an inner moral compass. The only problem with that is, if that compass is not aligned with the Word of God, you're going to be going south and you're supposed to be going north. Do I just trust teachers? Well, hopefully we can trust Bible teachers, but they're still human. And they make, they be held to... The standard of what's ultimately true, the Word of God. How can I know how to be pure? I'm like those Bereans of Acts chapter 17 who search the Scriptures daily to see whether what was being taught was so. It makes a difference in perspective. It makes a difference in purity. And then finally, it makes a difference in my path. Maybe the most famous verse of this entire very long psalm is found in the next section, verse 105, where David says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I don't think you would be here this morning without agreeing with the statement that we live in a world that sometimes is dark. In fact, often it's dark. How do I navigate through that life? How do I navigate through that? The Word of God. That's how I do it. I stay on the path that God has laid out. I stay on, if you let me change the terminology, I stay on the way. That God has laid out. And what is the way? Well, Jesus gave that answer, did he not? I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 14 and verse 6. How can we make it through this world? I follow what God has said. Today's a day for love. But I hope we've instilled in each of us a deeper love for the Word of God. It is precious. It's valuable. It's a gift from God. I need to make sure that the Word of God is truly an object of my love. 
that I am constantly seeking more from it. I need to make sure that I, I grow in my degree or my depth of love for it. That every day I want to drink more deeply from the Word of God. And I need to make sure that I'm showing the evidence of that by the Word of God filling my mind and filtering everything else, everything else, through what it says. And when that happens, I have a better perspective in life. I'm more pure in this life. And I can know, I can absolutely know that I'm following the path that God would have me to be on. The question I want to ask this morning is simply this. Are you on that path? The path that leads through Calvary where Jesus died and that, praise God, ultimately ends in heaven. How do I know where that path is? I follow the Word of God. He has told us in that Word to believe what He says, that He really did send His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Do I have faith in that? He has told us in that that Word to turn from those things that are wrong. When I find out I'm living a life of sin, we call that repentance, but all it means is turn around, renounce, go away from. I go away from a life of sin. Have you done that? He tells us in that Word to confess that the One who came really is His Son. Am I willing to confess Him? State that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And I'm going to live to that confession. And then He tells us to be immersed, buried in water, for the forgiveness of my sins. And He has made the promise that if I will do that in faith, He will take all of my sins away. At that point, the Lord adds me to His church. I'm a Christian. And I'm preparing to go to heaven for the rest of my life. Maybe this morning you've done those things. As a Christian, you've strayed from that path. Maybe there hasn't really been a deep love for the Word of God and you've kind of strayed from the path and you need some encouragement to get back on the path. Or maybe this morning you need forgiveness. You've completely strayed from the path and you're saying, this is the day that I show I am ready to get back on the path. Aren't you thankful that our God is a God of second chances? And that He's willing to say, I forgive. He loves you. And He's shown it. Do you love Him enough to live it? Will you come to Him? We stand and sing to encourage.